Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is who I predict to be a future Illinois Senator, Ben Chapman. Good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. You're a recent graduate from the U of I where you studied nutrition. What, if anything, are you planning on doing with that focus? So I studied nutrition because I I saw that there were problems in the world. There's a problem with overweight and obesity. People have eating disorders and, and the relationship that Americans have with food is not great. So I saw this big problem that needed to be fixed. I also came across some really, really, really big pressing immediate problems in our political world. So I decided uh, if I'm here to solve problems, then let's look at the political world also because those are very obvious and very current. So I headed in that direction. Have you always been interested in politics? No, I have not always been interested in politics. My parents will tell a story how when John Kerry lost the election, I cried. That was me as a very little kid. I cared a little bit back then, but um, up until the 2016 election, it wasn't such a big deal to me. Then I saw how important politics can be to people and how it affects people, and I got involved. You've already had a, a few political runs under your belt. Let's go over what you ran for and why. I ran for Illinois State Senate in the 51st District uh, to oppose State Senator Chapin Rose. I ran for that office partly because I had things I wanted to say. I wanted to point out that there were some uh, problems in Illinois that needed fixing. But I also ran because somebody needed to. I really don't like unopposed elections. That's not how democracy should work. You shouldn't ever have to give your tax dollars to somebody who you had no real choice in choosing. How old were you when you ran? I was 20. I looked up through regulations on how old you have to be to be a state senator, and you have to be 21 years old. And I looked even more closely, and I saw that you have to be 21 years old when you're sworn in. So I realized I could run for state senate as a write-in candidate. Then after that, I stepped down from that candidacy and ran for Champaign County Board in an opposed election against Jim Goss in District 1. Let's talk about that for a second. The fact that in a Muhammad district, let's say primarily Muhammad, that's pretty red, you're a young guy without any political background, and you're running against an incumbent. So it's all stacked against you. But it was closer than you expected, wasn't it? Going in, I knew I was going to lose. I didn't anticipate doing as well as I did. I'm very proud of the effort that my campaign put forward. Everyone that I meet your age seems to be a Democrat. As a student at the University of Illinois, did you run into people that were Republicans? Are there young Republicans here on the University of Illinois campus? There absolutely are. There's the Illinois Republicans who, while I have my own opinions about them, they do organize. They also can sometimes fly under the banner of Turning Point USA, which I certainly have my own opinions about that organization. But they do organize, whether they're effective or not, or whether they do a good job of representing the Republican Party as a whole, I'm unsure. But they're out there. Your day job, one of your many day jobs, you work as a consultant for Fair Vote. It's an organization working towards election reform. What exactly do they do? Fair Vote is a nonprofit based out in D.C. They work to move us away from the Electoral College. They work against gerrymandering, so to help with redistricting reform. I currently contract mostly to focus on ranked choice voting. So these are different electoral systems that have been shown through evidence, through studies, to improve elections and improve the governments that come out of them. And that's important because we can talk about elections all day, but if we're not making the governments better, there's really no point. So uh, that's, that's the evidence that we look for, and that's the type of activism that we work on. Let's talk about ranked choice voting. I'm glad you brought that up. What exactly is it? 
Ranked choice voting is a new way of voting, but with that new way of voting comes a new way of counting votes. So in short, it's a system where candidates get to rank their favorite choices. If you like a candidate the most, then a candidate the least, and have a candidate kind of in the middle, you rank your first candidate first, second favorite second, third favorite third, and it's a kind of a gradient of preference. The way votes are counted is voters essentially are saying, I want this candidate, but if I can't have this candidate, then I'll have this candidate. And then if I can't have that one, then I'll have this one, and on and on. And votes are counted in rounds where the lowest performing candidate of all the first place, first place choices is eliminated. And then those voters' votes go to their second place choices. So if you have three candidates, let's say it's 2016 with Hillary Clinton, Jill Stein, and Donald Trump, Jill Stein is likely to get eliminated first. And all those votes will transfer over to likely mostly to Hillary Clinton. And that's how a victor is chosen is after all those votes are transferred along. So the ultimate goal is to give more voters choices when they vote. That's great in a crowded field. For the candidates themselves, though, what's the downside? Is there a downside for the candidates? Ranked choice voting means it's more difficult to abuse the electoral system. Our current setup is called First Past the Post, and it has many, many, many different downfalls and vices and ways to kind of slip through the cracks. Ranked choice voting seals up some of those glitches that don't let extreme candidates get through, and it doesn't let sort of outside forces like maybe another country that wants to influence our election. It doesn't let that happen as easily. It's still possible, but it's just a much better, more cohesive system. Is this a partisan thing, or are both parties on board with this? Ranked choice voting at its core is not partisan. There are groups like the Heritage Foundation, who are right-leaning groups, who have decided that they dislike ranked choice voting. Whether they have put any evidence behind that or not, it's unclear to me, but they've decided they're against it. I haven't seen a convincing argument from them yet, though. Then groups like the Massachusetts Democratic Party, who are very on board with it and have sort of endorsed ranked choice voting as an important fixer or solution to our democracy. So there are different groups that have taken positions, and depending on location, you'll find different partisan interests supporting it more than others. It really doesn't fit in any perfect category, and both parties have reason to support ranked choice voting, and at large, the American people should be behind it because it does fix elections, and therefore the parties should, you know, if they want to get votes from people, they should be in support of ranked choice voting. What are the next steps in the process in order to make this a reality in Illinois? Getting a ranked choice voting bill passed in Illinois is going to be a big victory for Illinoisans and for the ranked choice voting movement. And that's because Illinois has historically been steeped in a sort of machine politics. And ranked choice voting is a kind of mechanism for moving us away from that. Now, how do we actually get that passed? We have to talk to a lot of people. Because for some of you, I'm sure this is the first time you've heard of ranked choice voting. So that's why I'm on this podcast is to help explain what it is and why we need it. So we have to talk to a lot of folks. That means presentations. That means talking about it at schools, at League of Women Voters events, at rallies, getting politicians to endorse it, getting interest groups to endorse it. If people don't know what it is, then when we change to it, it could be the best system in the world, but people will still freak out. And we don't want Illinoisans to freak out. So we have to take a sort of slow, methodical process to getting the word out, doing that education so that when it's implemented, people understand what's going on. If somebody wanted to get involved with ranked choice voting, would we need grassroots training? How does one citizen make a difference in this process? Getting involved and just talking to folks about it is step one. So you've heard my podcast, 
go out there and tell other people about ranked choice voting. Step two is becoming organized about this. And fortunately, other people have already done that first. There's a group called Fair Vote Illinois who has been working towards ranked choice voting since 2016. So that's three years in Illinois. And so they know the history of the issue. They knew it backwards and forwards. Some of the people in that group know the issue in Illinois better than I do. I came into this fight about a year and a half ago and my group was called the Illinoisans for Ranked Choice Voting. So wherever you are in Illinois, there is probably some group of activists that's near you that knows this issue and would be happy to have you on board. It's just a matter of finding them. And people like me can help you do that. It feels like, and you can dispute me on this, Democrats are for fair votes and we love the popular vote and we want everyone to have a voice. It feels like Republicans, if they don't win things, that they want to suppress the vote. And yet it seems that people are being scrubbed from the voter rolls. Does that seem like a partisan issue or am I reading that wrong? It's tough to make generalizations because we certainly want to give credit to everybody who advocates for democracy regardless of the aisle they're on. There is honor on both sides of the aisle when it comes to making elections fairer. And when it comes down to it, democracy is really just how healthy is our election system. The health of our democracy is directly correlated to our election system because if we don't have a healthy democracy um, and healthy election system, we don't have any means of changing the society we live in. We lose a lot of power except for, you know, taking up arms and we don't want to do that. There really is no partisan requirement or a party that has has done a fantastic job and the other hasn't done anything. Is this person actually interested in making democracy healthier or are they just in this for their own personal gain? And we really see that divide when it comes down to issues like who can register? Do we care about what the evidence says about the electoral college? The popular vote. I can count so many times I've heard pundits say that the electoral college helps small states. That is statistically not true. There is no fact to to base that off of. And so some people are in it for power and some people are in it for democracy. And we want to celebrate those who are in it for democracy, whatever, whatever party they come from. There's no wrong answer to this next question. In your lifetime, because you're a lot younger than I am, this is the most important election, I would say, of our life, of your lifetime. We say that every time. Would you say the primaries are as important as the general election or just put our focus on 2020? People should be voting in every election. I will never say that one election is more important than the other. It depends what you care about. Whatever you care about, there will be somebody on the ballot who will work towards it and likely somebody who will work against it. So for each person, they have to decide on their own which election is more important. But regardless, you should be voting in both of them and you should be making your opinions heard and being informed by listening to legal women voters forums and reading as much as you can online and trusting the media because they work hard and they are right about a lot of things. Other than ranked choice voting, if you had to pick one issue just personally that is so near and dear that you would like to see tackled by everybody running, what is the other issue? This is going to be a selfish answer, so I don't want it to sound like other issues aren't important because healthcare, solid gun legislation, environmental reform, those are all very important things that affect a lot of people, and so I don't mean to make it sound like I don't care about those, because I do. But one issue that I don't often hear talked about, which should be, and especially after uh, First Lady Michelle Obama left the White House, this is very much off the table, but the nation's nutritional health. We have still an obesity crisis in this country, and it's not being fixed. That enacts a huge cost on taxpayers, it enacts a 
basically a happiness cost because people who are overweight or obese or are suffering from a poor relationship to food, they are more likely to suffer from depression. They're less likely to be productive at work. So if you want to make the conservative argument that we want people to be more productive at their jobs, we should be advocating for health. And this means health in all its forms. And we don't really have any strong voices advocating for a better food system or really a better preventative healthcare system in this country right now. Are you considering another run for political office? I am not right now. You're spending your time talking about ranked choice voting. A lot of it is educating people. So your platform, I assume, is Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And how are you getting the word out there? The Illinois for Ranked Choice Voting can be found on Twitter. There's also the Fair Vote Illinois group that's on Twitter. And those folks focus on Illinois legislation and the movement in Illinois entirely. They're also on Facebook, so you can find them there. But if you're looking for a fantastic website with a lot of resources and a lot of information, along with some research and reports that have been created about elections, then Fair Vote, the national group's website is what you want to look for because Fairvote has done a lot of research on elections and it's fascinating as you can see how ranked choice voting would affect elections here, how it would change your everyday life. You can also see how we could fix Congress and fix gerrymandering and you can find data on why we need to switch to a popular vote or a better form of the Electoral College. That's Fairvote's website and it's fairvote.org and you'll find a lot of fantastic information there. Were people talking about this before Donald Trump got into the White House? Yes, they were. Maine was pushing for ranked choice voting a long time back. They have a strong independent party and they have a lot of third party strength there. So Maine was pushing for this to fix the spoiler problem. San Francisco has been moving towards ranked choice voting for a while, along with a bunch of different little municipalities. So places have known that we need ranked choice voting. In fact, we can look back to the 2000 election with Gore and Nader and Bush, and we see that that frustration with Nader that was not based on his platform necessarily, but was based on him just being in the race, that was one of the early catalysts of people realizing, oh, there's a problem with our election system. And so we've been talking about this for a while, but just recently with New York City implementing it and passing it with flying colors in their municipality, there's been a big push for it. Yeah, Jill Stein makes me want to smack her in the face. Jill Stein is, interestingly, one of the bigger backers of ranked choice voting because the Green Party has been frustrated for a long time with being called spoilers. And they should be because, agree with them or not, everybody should have a right to be whatever party they want and run for office and not just be discounted as a spoiler or be told you're wasting your vote. Locally, by the way, we have a lot to do in between now and the primary, and we have a lot of really good choices. How would you suggest, and I'm not asking you to endorse anybody, that people channel their energy? Let's say we have five people that we really want to see get in. It's overwhelming. Do we pick one and knock on doors? Do we rotate weekends? What should I do? Step one is don't sit on the sidelines. I've been involved with many campaigns, and I have run my own. And I can tell you that Running for office is actually a lot of fun. If you go on a morning walk, you already are good at walking. So that's like half of the canvassing thing you know how to do. And then the next part is just knocking on doors. And it might be scary the first two, three times you do it, but then it becomes kind of all right the next four to 10 to 20. And then the next 100, 200, 300 doors you knock on are a lot of fun. You get to meet cool people. Uh, you get to see your town. You get to know what the issues are that people care about. So I think step one is get off the sidelines 
And then look to local campaigns where they're talking about things that you care about. If you want to park your car and have a cheaper parking space, ask for that. If you think parking spaces should be more expensive, look for the people that are advocating for that. These are things that affect you in everyday life. And so if you're going to be canvassing and knocking on doors, make it worth your time and make some change that you want to see. Last question before I let you go. I have to ask, since you're a well-educated nutritionist, are you horrified when someone makes bad food choices in front of you? Do you judge others or you just encourage people to make better lifestyle choices? You don't want to be that guy. Absolutely, I do not judge others. I have the way I eat and that's based off of my life and the things I know. I think what you learn over time when you're studying nutrition is that people make their food choices for a lot of different reasons. And to judge people for what they're eating would be to ignore a lot of different factors. If somebody were to say, I need help with changing my diet, first of all, the first step is to sit down and talk with them a lot about how and why they're eating the way they're eating. Because if you don't know why they eat the way they currently do, you can't fix that. And I want to say that that's not my job. I'm not a trained registered dietitian. I have a dietitian's degree, but you have to go through an internship and other qualifications that give you that registered dietitian's certificate. And registered dietitians are the expert on helping people, counseling them, and getting them on the right path. So if you're thinking about getting healthier, talk to a registered dietitian. They know what they're talking about and they will help you. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Ben Chapman, you inspire me. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. 